Right, readings from Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 1 to 40, page 584 in your Bibles. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in a darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gold to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendour is gone and all that I'd hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. To crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the Most High, to deprive them of justice, Would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Lamentations, as you could probably see from that reading, is a book about suffering. But... It's not a book about our suffering or even suffering in general. It's a book about the suffering of Jerusalem after the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple happened in 587 BC and it's written after that time. It's really important for us to see that actually because it drastically changes how we read this book. Rather than explaining why we suffer, Lamentations, it explains why Israel suffered. And rather than explaining what we should do when we suffer, Lamentations is explaining what Israel should do when they suffer, what they needed to do. 
Now, mind you, if we can keep that in mind, that this is written predominantly about Israel and for Israel, if we can keep that in mind, then it has a whole heap of things to say to our suffering as well. Lamentations, it it teaches Israel and us three main things. It teaches us that suffering screams out to us that something is wrong. Secondly, it teaches us that suffering should drive us into the arms of God. And thirdly, it teaches us that suffering needs a resolution. Although we've got a, a different context, these three things are true for them, for Israel, and they're true for us. We're going to have a closer look at each one of them. So let's have a look at suffering screams out to us that something is wrong. Look at Lamentations 2 verse 20, one of the darkest verses in this book. Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Should such awful things ever happen? No, suffering isn't right. It's not the way that things are meant to be. And such horrible things are are especially not right in Israel. Israel was supposed to be blessed by God and suffering like this is worlds away from what God intended for them. Suffering isn't right. It shows that there's something wrong. And the book of Lamentations is very clear what's wrong. Look at chapter 1 verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. Or chapter 4, verse 13, it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Or chapter 5, verse 16, the crown has fallen from our head, woe to us, for we have sinned. (coughs) Israel's suffering screamed at them that there was something wrong and what was wrong was them. They were clearly, undeniably in the wrong. They'd totally failed to live as God's people. And despite hundreds of years of warnings from God and hundreds of years of second chances, they and their fathers had broken their promises to God. Their situation, it's very specific. It's very clear that their suffering is the direct result of their sin. But when it comes to our suffering, there's a similarity and there's a difference. The similarity is that like them, our suffering, it it screams out to us that something is wrong. But unlike them, we can't isolate the specific cause. They rebelled against God by breaking the covenant and that rebellion meant this suffering. But we can't look at our suffering and identify its source other than to say that it's because of Adam's original sin. Now, of course, sometimes you can see a stronger causal link than that. If you get drunk and you climb up the top of a building and you jump off because you you believe that you can fly and you, you break your leg, you can be pretty sure that your suffering is somehow connected to your stupidity in that kind of situation. But that's not the way that suffering mostly works in our world. If someone gets cancer... It's useless for them to try and identify a sin that's caused it. Imagine someone's born with a disease. What's the cause then? 
their sin? Obviously not, unless you believe in reincarnation. Do you blame their parents for a sin they've done? Well, we know that Jesus taught his disciples not to go there, that that's never the case. So do you, what do you conclude? We can't look at a person who suffers a lot and conclude that they must have sinned a lot. But actually, I don't reckon that any of us are really ever likely to do that. I think we're far more likely to look at our own suffering and conclude that it's because of something we've done. Why is God punishing me? What have I done? What is God getting me back for? Have you ever had thoughts like that? Unlike Jerusalem, our suffering doesn't scream out that we're being punished for some specific wrong that we've done. But it does scream out that something's wrong. It screams out that something is wrong with this world, that things just aren't what they're meant to be. Now, of course, we can only make this claim that something's not right if there's a standard of right and wrong that's built into this world. In other words, only if there's a designer who's built morality into the world can we say, this is not good, this is bad, this is evil. Without God, there can be no real objection to suffering. And there can be no meaning to suffering either. It just is. Without God, it really is nonsense to say that suffering is wrong. Because in the big picture, without God, life doesn't matter. Suffering doesn't matter. Whether I live or die doesn't matter. Extinguishing life doesn't matter. Whether I live in pain and and suffering or in happiness doesn't matter because nothing really matters. But there is a God. And so suffering does matter and it screams out to us that something's wrong. And so for us, Suffering raises a whole different set of questions and problems. Like, where is God in suffering? Is it the case that God is good, but not powerful enough to stop it? Is that what's going on? Or is it the other way around? Is is God powerful, but not actually good enough to stop it? Pain and suffering, it screams out that something's wrong with the world and it raises the possibility that maybe the problem is somehow with God himself. But despite the intense grief and the protest that we read in Lamentations, it won't let us accept this possibility. Lamentations, first of all, it won't let you believe that God isn't powerful. The striking thing about Lamentations is that there's no attempt to say that God isn't behind their suffering. In fact, Lamentations says the complete opposite. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And have your Bibles open if you've got them there, because I'm going to flick across a couple of verses here. 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness. Verse 4. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. Verse 5. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. Verse 6. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Verse 7. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. 
verse 12. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. Throughout Lamentations, God is undeniably behind the suffering in Jerusalem. But more than that, in Lamentations, God is undeniably behind everything. Look at verse 37 in chapter 3. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Lamentations cannot accept the answer that God isn't powerful enough to stop suffering. It just cannot accept that answer. God is all-powerful, sovereign, in control of all things. And this isn't doubted even for a moment. But neither will Lamentations conclude that God is not good. Firstly, Lamentations makes it very clear that this punishment is deserved. Back in chapter 1, verse 18, which Dave read before, the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous in the right, yet I rebelled against His command. God isn't evil for what He's done. He's, He's in the right. And secondly, Lamentations makes it clear that God's anger isn't because He's petty or vindictive or sadistic. Lamentations makes it clear that God's anger is His alien, unnatural but necessary response to their sin. Look at chapter 3, verse 33. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He does not willingly bring affliction to anyone. And so even in the bitterness and bleakness of Lamentations, there's this glimmer of hope, and it's based entirely on the goodness of God. The most important poem of the five in Lamentations is the third one. And in this poem, the poet remembers two things, his suffering and the goodness of God. One of these things, it comes to his mind uncontrollably, he he can't help it. The other one, he has to call to his mind, call to his memory. Have a look at verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. When you're suffering, it's ever-present with you. You want to forget it, but it's, it's continually on your mind and, and you can't walk away from it. But the poet, he goes on to talk about what he forces himself to remember at that time. Look at verse 21. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the depths of suffering, despair overwhelms his mind, but he forces himself to remember what God is like. God is good. His love, his compassion, his faithfulness are eternal. If there's any reason to have hope, any reason at all, it's only because of this. God is good. Lamentations, it it won't let us conclude that God isn't powerful enough to stop our pain. But neither will it let us conclude that that God is not good. It won't let us conclude that He's somehow enjoying our pain. 
somehow, even though we don't understand it, God is good and God is powerful. And for some reason that only He knows, our suffering is necessary. Our pain is, is serving a purpose beyond our understanding, but not beyond God's understanding. We can't know the reason for our pain, but we can know that God works through it. In our suffering, when it dominates our minds, we too must call to mind the love, the compassion, the faithfulness of God. Suffering, it shouts out to us that something is wrong with this world. But actually, it's in our suffering that God Himself is shouting. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, suffering, it makes us see that something's wrong with this world. And when we look into it, we see that the problem's not God, it's actually with us. And so the second thing we see in Lamentations is that suffering should drive us into the arms of God. The people of Israel had been punished by God and they clearly saw Him as the source of their suffering, but they know He's also their only source of hope. There's a movement in the book of Lamentations that goes from expressing their suffering through to looking to God. So much of of this book just wades through the depths of their despair, but the book isn't happy to leave it there. It calls on the people to throw themselves upon God, and for Israel, this meant to acknowledge their sin. Look at chapter 3, verse 40. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. When a young child is is disciplined, who do they look to for comfort? Their parent. The hand that punished them is the hand that comforts them. For Israel, their suffering was because of their rebellion, and yet they needed to return to God for comfort. Now, our suffering is probably not because of our specific sins that we can put our finger on. And so we don't need to return to God in the same way as them. Our context, like I said before, is is very different to theirs and we need to keep that in mind. But like Israel, we should be driven into the arms of God for comfort. We should, like them, turn to Him in our pain. Now, in my experience of, of life, suffering seems to have two very powerful effects. Either it seems to create a bitter, kind of impenetrable barrier between us and God, or it creates a deeper bond of of love and trust between us and God. Someone who's close to me has got a a child who's been diagnosed as, as being developmentally delayed, meaning that she may never be live independent of um of her parents. And when this diagnosis was made, I, I said to her, Are you angry with God? And she said, No, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. And I said to her, have you told God that? And she said, no, I just can't pray. Suffering 
should drive us to God. It's when we give God the silent treatment because of suffering that we kill the relationship. This is tragic in the end because the Bible doesn't tell us to shy away from wrestling with God in our suffering. It tells us the opposite. We're allowed to come to God with our suffering and to object vigorously. We're allowed to vent our frustration. That's what Lamentations is. In carefully crafted poetry, four acrostic poems, it's suffering thoroughly poured out before God. Sometimes Lamentations even sounds like an accusation, like Lamentations 2.20. Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? A third of the Psalms are laments or a plea for God to do something. Look at Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Or Psalm 13. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? The Bible is not shying away from wrestling with God. But sometimes we do, and we shouldn't. We're allowed to lament. We're allowed to cry out to God and we're allowed to say, I don't like what you're doing. I don't understand what you're doing. It's right for us to think that pain is wrong. And in fact, if we don't wrestle with God when we suffer, I think we're in danger of suppressing what we're really feeling and that can become a real danger to our faith. If you feel let down by God, tell Him so. Lamenting is a valid expression of faith, but suppressing our feelings is not. Tell God. He can handle it. And this brings us to our final point. Suffering needs a resolution. Probably the greatest contribution of the book of Lamentations to the whole Bible is that it leaves us with a bad taste in our mouth. It's a depressing book about the consequences of Israel's failures. And yes, we're given hope that God's love, compassion and and faithfulness will somehow overwhelm their failure. But in Lamentations, this is by no means guaranteed. Lamentations, it leaves us with God's awful wrath. Look at the miserable way that it ends in in 5 verse 20. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure, we're left with what seems to be an unresolvable tension. On the one hand, we see God's awful wrath against sin. On the other hand, we see God's unfailing love for His people. But if God's people always fail and demand His anger, and yet God will always love, how is this tension ever going to be resolved? Lamentations, it doesn't answer those questions. It leaves them unresolved. It leaves us with questions like, will God be compassionate and forgive them? Will His promises to them continue despite their failures? Will they continue to be His people? Lamentations shows us that these problems, they can't be resolved without first accounting for God's awful wrath. 
God's anger, it just can't be dismissed. We might want to dismiss it. God's anger is not popular. And many Christians today would prefer to sweep God's anger under the carpet completely rather than wrestle with it. But lamentations and God won't let us do that. We've got to wrestle with the wrath of God. Of course, in the end, there's only one possible resolution and only God can provide it. It's God's unfailing love that drives him to bear his own awful anger. God the Son becomes human and dies on a cross and wrestles that anger onto himself. For God's people, his anger is is resolved. In that one event, God's anger and love combine. Israel's failure and the suffering that followed it, it needed a resolution and God provided that resolution finally in the cross of Jesus. But our suffering also needs a resolution and our resolution is also found in the cross. The ultimate cause of all suffering in this world is rebellion against God's rule. And the cross is the way that God's anger against our rebellion is dealt with, while at the same time being the way that God can be the loving, compassionate God who welcomes us back. But as we know too well, the cross, it doesn't end our suffering now. It doesn't. Never in the Bible are we told that if we come to Christ, then life will be smooth sailing from here on in. The cross will end suffering, but in the future. But what the cross does is give us hope. The hope that was just a glimmer in Lamentations is ours shining bright and strong. Not wishful thinking kind of hope, but certain hope. And it's this hope that makes our suffering bearable now. When we look back to the cross, we know we can look forward with certainty to to a time that's coming when our suffering will be no more. That's what the cross shows us. And as we look back, what we see is that as Jesus suffered and died on the cross, our suffering is shared by God himself. God, he doesn't stand cold and distant to our suffering. He enters our suffering. And as we look back at the cross, what we see is that God's anger is resolved as sin and rebellion is dealt with. And so the cause of all suffering is overcome. God enters our suffering, but he doesn't stand weak at the mercy of our suffering. He stands victorious over it. And as we look back, what we see is that Jesus rose from the dead, which means we can look forward and see that we too will rise from the dead. And we can see that our suffering is limited, limited in time. It's coming to an end. God stands victorious over suffering, And he does this so that he can make us victorious over suffering when one day we'll be free from it completely. When we read in Revelations, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Our suffering is shared by God. The cause of it, our sin is overcome by God and its existence is limited. It's coming to an end. That's what the cross achieved for us, for those of us who believe. Our suffering has a resolution. We may never know exactly why it is that we suffer. 
We might not know suffering's purpose in this life. But we can know the one. We can know God who knows its purpose. We can know the loving, compassionate, faithful God who entered into our suffering to end it. Suffering, it screams out that something is wrong. It should drive us into the arms of God. It needs a resolution. And if we belong to Jesus, we will see that resolution. It's our destiny. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this sad and torturous book of Lamentations and the way it wrestles so thoroughly with grief and human shortfalling and your anger earned and righteous against us. Lord, our suffering is different. We suffer in a different context. And yet, Lord, we thank you that there's so much we can learn from this suffering in the book of Lamentations. We thank you that you want us to pour out our grief, our objection before you, that you're not afraid of our anger and our pain, our disappointment even. Lord, that you don't turn away from us in those times, but you embrace us. Lord, we thank you for the power of the cross that as we look back, we can see our future fully laid out and eternity without pain, without suffering, without tears because of you, God, because of your love, your compassion for us, your faithfulness. Lord, we pray that if we are suffering now or when we will suffer in the future, Lord, help us at those times to call to mind your character, your faithfulness and love. And Lord, to have that true and strong hope and certain hope that only the cross can give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.